Our Border Links group visited the home of Shurel Wallen, founder of the Green Valley Saurita Samaritans, a group that gives migrants humanitarian aid. The Samaritans' mission is to save lives in the southern Arizona desert. Every day, Shura and the Samaritans walk the desert a few miles north of the border near Nogales. Migrants crossing the area have typically been on the trail for a few days, first in Mexico and then in Arizona. They have used up much of the water and the other supplies from their backpacks. Usually, the Samaritans walk the washes used as migrant trails. As the Samaritans approach the places migrants are likely to be, they call out a short welcome in Spanish. Somos amigos, estamos aquí para ayudarle, or in English, we are friends, we are here to help you. When migrants hear the welcome, they may step out into the open. Some choosing to trust the words, others acting out of sheer desperation. The Samaritans then offer food, water, and certain types of first aid. The Samaritans are not political. Upon finding migrants in severe distress, they will offer to facilitate voluntary surrender to the Border Patrol. If no migrants are along the trail, the Samaritans leave water behind. They also clean up items that migrants have left behind and donate any items that are suitable for reuse. Our Border Links group joined Shura for a brief walk on the trail. Shura picked up some items, including a name and address in Tucson that might let Shura establish contact with a migrant or their loved one. It is true that Samaritans can sometimes help and restore a thread of hope. The rest of this story, however, is a story of sadness, because often the Samaritans are witness to despair, to the end of a dream, or even the end of a life. We arrived at Shura's home to see an array of items on her dining room table an array of the precious items left on the trail. A toddler had lost her shoe. A member of Alcoholics Anonymous had dropped her big book, the basic text of AA. A man had put down his homemade canteen, a large plastic water bottle covered by burlap with a drawstring that doubled as a strap. Half-full baby powder shakers and toothpaste tubes were a sign of nurturing and self-care on the trail. Some things, like the AA Big Book, show that a traveler was trying to improve her lot in life, not just by migrating, but also with dealing with addiction or another problem. And about the canteen, it was likely the only one the man had, so without it, he had nothing to carry water. And yes, a few items are ordinary trash. Many of the migrants who left behind belongings were stopped by the Border Patrol. We know this for many reasons, including the apprehensions that Samaritans often see. 
When Samaritans go to Nogales in New Mexico each week, they see and help migrants who have become deportees. Those who have reached the comedor, a dining room, eat and patch up their bruises. Even when resigned to returning home, they need to figure out just where they are and how to get home. Many tell their stories. Alejandro will never try to cross again. He has received no gain from having paid a coyote to guide him, and he has no more money. Daniel has no hope of work back at home. Rosa will have permanent scars from the rape she endured along the trail. When Miguel could not keep up with his fellow travelers, he was separated from his brother and wonders if he will ever see him again. The stories above are repeated over and over, at times on the trail and in the first days of return. There seems to be no hope. Grupo Speda is a federally funded agency that offers basic services to migrants in Mexico. There are approximately 17 groups scattered along both the northern border with the United States and the southern border with Guatemala. Grupo Speda offers migrants who are heading north information on the desert and its dangers, letting them know, too, what their rights are once they cross into the U.S. Grupo's beta organizations also offer limited shelter and food to repatriated migrants. They work with the Mexican consulates in the U.S. to locate missing people and to coordinate rescue missions. Our Borderlinks delegation visited one of the Grupo's beta facilities in Nogales. You can kind of see the Grupo's beta facilities in this slide. You can see the Grupo's Beta's yellow truck there, front and center. Other slides will show similar helping agencies on the Mexican side of the border. You will also see a typical Nogales neighborhood. Deportees are, t are usually just kind of dumped off in Nogales to fend for themselves. Many of them end up sleeping in cemeteries, like the one I think you will see in this series of photos. You won't see any pictures of the people we encountered at Grupos Beta because we didn't want to be paparazzi. We didn't want to take cameras there because we knew the people we would be encountering were migrants who had tried and failed to get to family members in the US, people whose dreams had been dashed, uh, who may have very recently been traumatized by their, either their efforts to cross the border or the deportation process. We wanted to meet our migrant brothers and sisters with compassion and respect person to person. So my small group spent quite a bit of time talking with Panfilo Gonzalez, a 46-year-old construction worker who had been deported that very day. Panfilo had been working in the United States for 14 years, and he um, helped to remodel homes and businesses. He, had a, he told us he had a very good work record, even had some commendations from his boss, 
Well, a few weeks prior to our conversation, Panfilo and his wife had gone to their son's school for a parent-teacher conference. Their son is 11, and the family really values education. So Panfilo had gone straight from work to this parent-teacher conference, and then he decided to go home to relax, and his wife and son continued to walk around the school because they had a student art display. So Panfilo got his soda and his cigarette and sat on the front porch, and he heard all these sirens, and he didn't really pay that much attention. They were just kind of background noise. He didn't think that they had anything to do with him until no fewer than 15 vehicles kind of screamed to a halt in front of his house. Panfilo was arrested and taken away in handcuffs. He was not given any opportunity to notify his family. He couldn't take any of his things with him. When his wife finally was able to locate him, she put some family pictures and clothes in a suitcase, and she was able to see him after some waiting, but she was not able to give him his things. was a hard thing to listen to. Tears streamed down his face as he told us this story, and tears streamed down our faces. We told him we were really sorry for what he was going through. He hoped that his neighbors would help his family out. He was concerned for his wife, who has diabetes and can't work. He was concerned for his son, his wife had been in a diabetic coma before, and he didn't know what would happen if she got sick again. He was concerned for his daughter. He's very proud of his daughter. She had a full scholarship um, to the University of Nebraska, I believe it was. And he was determined to return to the United States and to his family no matter what. He told us over and over and over that he was a good person, he'd never broken any law, that he was a responsible worker and family man, that he wanted to be with his family to support them, something he'd not been able to do in Mexico where he could find no work. Of course, we know that Panfilo broke one of our laws. He entered the United States illegally he told us that he had been deported once before, but then he had crossed the desert a second time to be reunited with his family. So with two deportations on his record, the chances of him ever being able to legally come back to this country and be with his family are slim to none. At Grupos Beta, Panfilo was given vouchers that would allow him to get meals at local soup kitchens for about two weeks. He was waiting to receive a voucher for bus transportation, but he hadn't decided where he would go, probably to another border town, he said, where he would try as soon as he could to make that dangerous trip back to his family. 
Did he make it across the desert a third time? I don't know. But I am certain he tried. And I understand why he tried. The pain of families torn apart at Grupos Beta was, was palpable. And yet, and yet, there is some hope. While most undocumented migrants in Arizona struggle, many of them also grow, learn, and find opportunities in our state. The organization Scholarships AZ has been the source of many opportunities for three young students who spoke to our group at the Border Links Dormitory in Tucson. The students began by describing how the group came about. In 2009, Scholarships AZ was formed after a series of conversations at Pima Community College and the University of Arizona. The mission of the group is to provide resources and scholarships to students, families, and educators through online and community interactions to make higher education accessible regardless of immigration status. The founders of Scholarships AZ with an Arizona focus at first started by compiling lists of scholarships throughout the nation for which undocumented students may apply. Scholarships AZ grew to become Scholarships A to Z and in 2015, its website reports that students around the nation use its sophisticated online resource list to find scholarship opportunities. The group has assisted Pima County students in every aspect of the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. A to Z was one of the lead groups in the successful campaign for Pima Community College to charge the in-state tuition rate to the students who have deferred action status. The group has also added many new education-related programs. Scholarships A to Z becomes an extended family for some, especially for teams who give back by doing outreach in the Tucson community. Back in 2013 at Borderlinks, we heard from our three visitors, Ana, Francisco, and Graciela. Within a few minutes, we were captivated by their openness and poise. Their expressions hinted at their optimism. Each of them told us about their childhood in Mexico, their youth in Tucson, and how they visualize their future. I'll give you a glimpse into the stories told by Anna and Francisco. The scholarship's A to Z opportunity was a turning point for Anna and also for Francisco. Through most of elementary school, Anna lived in poverty in Nogales, Sonora. When she entered the Tucson public schools, she had to catch up in other subjects in addition to learning English. Her grades were good, 
and her gifts in math and science had been identified. But for Anna, it seemed like college could not be a part of her life until she became connected to scholarships A to Z. Now, Anna is doing well as she nears graduation from Pima Community College. With a work permit, she can contribute to the income of her mother's household. She has already gone further in her studies than she ever anticipated. It appears that there will be more than one four-year school where she could use a scholarship aid to finish her engineering studies. Anna hadn't expected even one college to welcome her. She is amazed that she may have options, choices, for the next phase of her education. And Francisco. Francisco is the son of a former manager in a Sonoran mine. Francisco was a private school student through most of his childhood. After copper prices crashed, the family hung on jobless in Sonora, then slipped into Tucson, becoming undocumented when their tourist visas ran out. Francisco connected with a small private scholarship through scholarships A to Z and has been earning college credits as quickly as his meager resources and the scholarship will allow. He is in college, as his family would have expected if their former standard of living had continued. When Anna and Francisco finished their stories, Borderlink's fellow travelers talked with them. An engineer in our group talked engineering with Anna. Someone from the Smoky Mountains talked about a reversal of fortune in her own life and told Francisco that he was the picture of resilience. Francisco said, no, no, Anna. Anna is truly the self-made one. The visitors left. And our travel group kept talking. On through the day, the threads crossed. The threads of the separate stories of the unique individuals. Here emerged a landscape on a little piece of tapestry, while over there was just a tangle. No matter. We could not have one clear picture of the borderlands after just four days. It did matter that there was depth to the conversation that was lacking four days earlier. Each encounter had revealed something more about individual people at the border, those who cross, those who stay put. It did matter that we talked of real people, whole people, of connection, and of cause for hope. El Hogar de Esperanza y Paz, the home of hope and peace, or HEPA for short, is located in Nogales, Sonora, Mexico, 
It's in the middle of a rundown neighborhood where plumbing and electricity are not always reliable or even available, and where such things are never taken for granted. Jeanette Pazos, their executive director, is a ray of sunshine. She's under her leadership for the last 16 years. They've become a registered nonprofit, and they operate without federal funding, something Jeanette is very proud about, the autonomy of their organization. HEPOC is a community center that offers adult education classes, activities for all ages, a food security program for children, family education on nutrition and gardening. The, the lady in the middle, next to the guy in the blue shirt, just to the right, that's Jeanette. They have recently started a, a preschool program, and thanks to HEPOC, many adults have completed their elementary and high school educations. HEPOC's also the home base for a woman's cooperative business venture, and a lot of cottage industries have started so that the women can um, bring in some income to help their families. Jeanette Pazos believes in education and empowerment, and she knows what it's like to work in the maquiladoras, the factories of Nogales. When we have recessions here, it has a domino effect there, and it really negatively impacts the Mexican people. They have lower wages, tougher working conditions, fewer jobs. So because of that, the HEPOC workers' rights programs and their classes were designed to give people other marketable skills, and they even uh, formed a union for 1,300 factory workers so that they could guarantee a standard wage. So Jeanette and the people who work with her are really a force um, for improving people's lives. She sees the results of what she calls unjust and predatory systems, and she realizes how important it is to work to try to change the system as well as to engage in humanitarian efforts. Here's something that she said. The promised land is not in the north or in any so-called developed country. Instead, it is wherever a migrant heart beats and wherever walls have vanished through the actions of lives committed to the urgent task of social transformation, where there is a scarcity of prejudice and an abundance of conscience. When I tell Jeanette I'm going to tell people about HEPOC, she asked me to tell you how important it is that we recognize that the border communities are places of love, places where people are empowered to create better lives. The stories that we often tell or often hear about the border areas are too often stories of poverty and tragedy and crime and deportation. But let us also tell the stories of cooperation, success, caring, beauty, opportunity, creativity, justice, and joy. The kind of stories that Jeanette Pazos and Hepak write every day. Let us now give to the 